MSW Media. Thank you to HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, for sponsoring this episode. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50DailyBeans and use code 50DailyBeans for 50% off plus free shipping. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. It is a special, a very special edition of the Daily Beans today. We are recording this in late July to play on August 8th because we're going to be out that week. The beans will be dark because, uh, you know, everybody needs a little vacation every now and again. So I am here with a very good friend of mine, former federal prosecutor and host of the It's Complicated podcast with Asha Rangappa, Renato Mariotti. Hi, Renato. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. I'm really, really glad I get to talk to you. And this is going to be an interesting exercise in time travel because we are recording this on July 23rd. And we're going to be discussing the four big potential and already existing charges of the former president of the United States and and the timeline and the scheduling and, and all that, how all that looks. But by the time people listen to this, by the time this interview airs, we may have charges that have not been voted on yet, or at least haven't been shown to the public. And that's, we're thinking particularly of the January 6th, you know, the coup, the attempted coup charges uh, for Donald Trump and potentially others, uh, although not anyone else has received uh, a target letter, but we will talk about that when we get to it. But I want to kick this off with the Manhattan DA charges. Manhattan DA, that's Alvin Bragg, he was the first to go. And he went with, this is a five-year-old crime, six years now, but five years at the time. And that's the hush money payment, but not just the Stormy Daniels hush money payment, but the Karen McDougal and the doorman and, you know, that kind of, you know, catch and kill almost vibe. But these charges are, I believe, 34, a felony falsification of business records charges. Now, a lot of people, I think, think are sleeping on this one, although maybe there's just so many charges, it's hard to be super into all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I think, look, if you're going to have a set of indictments that somebody faces, there's always going to have to be one at the bottom. So if we were doing the, you know, fantasy indictment draft, so to speak, this would be (laughs) the, the light, the last draft pick. Okay. I wouldn't, wouldn't pick this in the first three rounds of our four round draft. Um, If for a lot of reasons, that said, I mean, I think one thing people are, when we say where people are sleeping on, I think one thing that people don't capture, don't understand is how difficult it is to defend a war on multiple legal fronts at the same time. It's much more challenging than you might think. I've done it before. It's really hard when you are in the defense and you your client has uh, criminal charges in multiple jurisdictions. In, in Trump's case, of course, he also has civil uh, cases that he's got in multiple jurisdiction. So he's he's in a, in a tough spot. I think that is really what I see as the the main um, downside for Trump from the Manhattan DA charges. Yes, he may get convicted. Yes, they're felony charges, although I'll be at the lowest level of felony in New York. But I think the, the thing is, you know, if, if you're Trump's team, you want to be focused like a laser on these documents, this documents case, January 6th case, some of these 
massive cases, you have a tremendous liability. And instead, you have to try the docu- the uh, Manhattan DA case before you get there. And you got to focus on defending him in that case as well. So it's just, a, I think, a challenge for them. Yeah, it's a lot. And he's had a hard time putting together a legal team. You would expect a former president to have a very robust, incredible legal team made up by white shoe lawyers from white shoe law firms. And that's just not the case. I mean, I think he's got two. I think he's down to two lawyers at this moment. And then, you know, of course, he farms out his his friend Stanley Woodward for for everybody else at the lower levels. But recently, Trump was denied a motion to move this trial to federal court. Uh, He wanted to do so because one of the underlying crimes that elevates the falsification of business records charge from a misdemeanor to a felony, one of those underlying crimes is a federal crime. And so he thought based on that, that he should be able to move his trial to the federal courts, presumably so that maybe he could get a pardon Huh. If a Republican were elected or if he were elected and he and he wanted to self-pardon or shut that case down if it were still going on, I can't think of another reason he would want to move it to a federal court. But what do you think? I'll give you two, two reasons why. One reason is the judge, the state court judge that he's in front of already ruled against the Trump organization in a state criminal case. And Trump, I think famously, rather, when he thinks a judge is against him, it's like, he goes, he's gets very dour about that. It's not that judges potentially were open-minded, but saw the facts differently, or there's no honest disagreement of, of opinion. <laughs> if you didn't rule his way, you're a bad judge and you're out to get him and so on. So I think that's a, a probably a big driver of this. Uh, the, the judge here ruled, um, you know, that the, the Trump organization, you know, presided over the, the trial in which the Trump organization was found guilty of a felony. So I think that's a big part of it. Another thing is delay, you know, moving it to federal court just, you know, restarts everything again, potentially, you know, he, he already as a judge set a, a trial, a trial date in 2024. Probably didn't like that. Thought that maybe he could, you know, toss the, you know, re roll the dice, so to speak, hope that he gets a new, uh, a new pick who might be a little bit uh, slower moving. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Let's move on from the Manhattan charges uh, over to the documents, Mar-a-Lago federal charges that, that, that occurred down in Miami, because I don't know that it would behoove him to move the March trial date for the Manhattan DA, because when Judge Aileen Cannon was weighing when to schedule the trial, she had asked if it was possible to move the March court trial, the trial in Manhattan because perhaps she was thinking maybe we could get March. She thought December was too soon based on the amount of evidence and and SEPA stuff that has to go on between now and then. January and possibly January into February is taken up by E. Jean Carroll 1, the first E. Jean Carroll trial. The second one has already been finished and decided, and, and she was awarded $5 million in that case. And then March and potentially April are taken up by the Manhattan district attorney case. And so May really was kind of the next closest time that she could pick because it seems like Trump's dance card is filling up fairly quickly for 2024. Yes. I, you know, that's, although it's a challenge for Trump to be facing all these legal problems at the same time, it does enable delay because judges will frequently, you're dealing with the, with, uh, the defense team, the 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 uh, defendant has a right to counsel of his choice, 
And a lot of times council are very busy. Uh, I will confess that there more than one time, uh, even recently, I've presented my calendar to judges asking for more time for my clients and explaining how I'm busy cases across the country. That is just part of the part of the system works. So yeah, I think that it's true that if the if the Manhattan DA case got moved, then that would potentially open up an early trial date for uh, the documents case. I just think there's a, a, a supreme confidence in the Trump team on the documents case of being able to push that. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a number of reasons why, one of which is that in a classified documents case, there are many more tools of the defense toolbox to create delay. Uh, there's a, a statute called SIPA that allows for interlocutory appeal. So the appeal happens before the trial ends. Plus, the defense can make all sorts of crazy discovery demands that the def- that the government's going to find insane and fight about all of those because they'll say, well, you know, even though you don't want to give us all these other classified documents, you know, we think that it's really important to draw the contrast for our defense between the attack on, uh, you know, a totally different country we were planning that's totally secret, you know, and to compare with Iran or whatever the attack on Iran. So, that sort of thing. So, and I think they also have alien cannon, right? Is there is there ace in a hole? So I think they're probably thinking, yeah, we're not going to try that case anytime soon. So let's push off the Manhattan DA as far as we can and hope maybe that delays January 6th or something else. Exactly. And, and every single expert I've spoken to, well, some have said they didn't think that the December 11th trial uh, date was out of the ordinary or unachievable that it would have gotten pushed back probably, but that it could have been scheduled for then. I mean, her initial schedule was August 14th. But I I think once she saw how much discovery, 1,500 plus pages of classified documents, over a million pages of other documents of evidence, hundreds of hours of surveillance footage, even though the timestamps that are relevant were provided, it is a lot of evidence to go through. But you know, a lot of folks I've spoken to thought that December 11th was a reasonable date. But most other experts I've spoken to say, even if that were the case, they didn't think that this was going to happen before summer of next year, with many thinking still probably after the election because of the SEPA considerations, Confidential Information Procedures Act, right? right. Um, there's all sorts of different, like you said, opportunities for delay there that are fairly normal in these cases that include classified documents. And this case has more classified documents than your usual SEPA case uh, from the experts we've spoken to. Brian Greer, former CIA assistant general counsel, for example, has 31 is a, is a lot of documents to have to manage. Uh, and so I think you also kind of had more realistic expectations about when this trial might happen. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, people got their hopes up. You know, there's a big difference between could and would. Could there be a trial in December 2023? 20, 20, uh, 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 okay, sure. Could there be a trial in very early 2024? Sure. Is that possible? Anything's yes, anything's possible. If everyone was on the same page and like the judge and the defense, everyone was trying to push it that that quickly, anything's possible. But and I will give Jack Smith credit. He's doing everything he can. Like you mentioned, he's giving him the timestamps and saying, here's the most important documents. But the defense to be the only I I rarely I to be fair, the defense is not going to take the government's word for it. So they're going to want to review everything. Could they, they review the right. it quickly? Yeah. Could they review it quickly? Sure. Are they going to? No, because that's what the defense says. <laughs> they, they create delay. That's that's part of the uh, part of the defense playbook. Yeah. Part of the process, part of the normal kind of way things go. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens there. But the dance card 
is filling up uh, pretty quickly. And that could impact uh, future indictments in future court cases, which I want to talk about. But I do need to take a quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back with Renato Mariotti. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, I need to take a moment to talk about HelloFresh, the perfect solution for hassle-free cooking. They deliver fresh ingredients and easy-to-follow recipes right to your home, turning meal prep from a chore to a delight. You've got places to be, and standing in the checkout line is not one of them. Leave the meal planning and grocery shopping to HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50DailyBeans and use code 50DailyBeans for 50% off plus free shipping. A few days ago, I was running behind. Luckily, HelloFresh had a quick and easy meal because I'm on the go all the time. Just 30 minutes later, I had their blackened catfish with crispy roasted potatoes and caramelized vegetables. It was fresh, it was tasty, it was delicious, and I was able to get back on schedule. So if your family is snackish, HelloFresh lets you supplement your weekly order with over 100 additional snacks, sides, and more. Plus, they keep dinner exciting with 40 chef-designed recipes each week, spanning categories like family-friendly and fit and wholesome. And if you're too busy for a grocery run, HelloFresh has you covered. It's 25% cheaper than takeout, and less pricey than the grocery shopping. Enjoy the flavors of the journey of home cooking thanks to HelloFresh. Take a bite out of summer. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50DailyBeans and use code 50DailyBeans for 50% off plus free shipping. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with former federal prosecutor, amazing lawyer, a great legal mind, MSNBC contributor, my friend, host of the It's Complicated podcast with Asha Rangappa. It's on the MSW Media Network. You need to check out a really, really good podcast. Renato Mariotti, before the break, we were talking about the 2024 court to criminal dance card for, for the former president of the United States and how it's filling up quite a bit. And, you know, for a very long time now, I think since 2021, I've been like, this is all going to happen in 2023. And, and that means all the trials are going to take place in 2024 and, pro- and maybe even beyond. So I've been kind of I've been kind of prepared for this. I know a lot of folks haven't been, but We are now on the precipice of additional indictments because the former president got a target letter from the Department of Justice Special Counsel's Office, Jack Smith's office, that he is a target for criminal indictment for the events surrounding January 6th, which I I call it a coup. Uh, And (laughs) that's that's, you know, a lot of people will just refer, you know, refer to it as that day. But there's so much more to it than that. What do you think of these charges? I mean, we were expecting the defrauding of the, the conspiracy to defraud the United States. We were expecting obstructing an official proceeding, which Rolling Stone referred to as witness tampering. But I think they mean obstructing an official proceeding. Hmm. But the 241 charge it, it is something I mean, some people had thought about that earlier, but the conspiracy against rights. Can we talk a little bit about that charge and how it might apply to what Donald Trump did? Yeah, that one is a bit of a head scratcher. Um, and and what I, the reason I say that is because it can mean a lot of different things. You know, we're getting like secondhand reports. It's like a game of telephone when you know you're trying to you know your your te- you know your your teenager is saying you know what you know you're learning it from the other the the younger kid what the teenager said whatever. Whenever you have multiple um, multiple steps in the in the telephone uh, in the telephone tree, you're always get to have something that's garbled. So. One thing that I'm not sure about is, is this about depriving, for example, the in the citizens of states where they were trying to have fake electors of their votes? Like if that, you know, was a way of capturing that piece of it, that's possible. 
what was what were they trying to what was the you know it's unclear to me i guess what i'm saying i have too little information how it's going to be applied yeah yeah like it could also be a conspiracy against our rights to a peaceful transfer of power Mm-hmm. Uh, as yes. a citizenry, it could be a conspiracy against the rights of Mike Pence, who was only doing his job that well, day. That's possible too. Sure, could be when he sent the mob. Uh, that could be a conspiracy to deprive us of our rights of a peaceful transfer of power to by delaying the official proceeding and the electoral count uh, us of our votes. Recently, uh, a right wing provocateur named Ricky Vaughn was convicted of two forty one. And that was for depriving people of their right to vote by convincing them that they could text vote for to vote for Hillary from home. And they didn't they didn't have to go to the polls that day. And he was convicted of 241. It carries a maximum 10 year sentence. But it's going to be interesting to see how this applies, if it has to do with the mob at the Capitol or the peaceful transfer of power or, like you said, the fraudulent elector scheme or perhaps something else that, that I'm not thinking of right now. Uh, And that is just something that we won't know until we can read what will probably be if it's consistent with the other indictments that have come out of Jack Smith's uh, workshop there will be a speaking indictment with a lot of great detail uh, about what happened and why the charges apply. Yeah. So like for all of you who are listening to this now in in August, you know, we're obviously we don't know. You may know if you're listening to this, (laughs) what's in the indictment. We don't know right now in July 23rd. But I think. One thing that's interesting to me when I think of this, because it's something, obviously, it's an indictment I've thought about for a while, is some of the charges that aren't included. So, you know, for example, there's nothing in there about inciting an insurrection. Mm -hmm. There would have been a huge legal challenge to that, a First Amendment challenge, but it's an obvious sort of charge because you had this guy, you know, inciting people and saying all sorts of inflammatory things in, you know, uh, in the rotunda and the, or excuse me, in the uh, ellipse. And then suddenly, you know, they all storm to the Capitol and attack a bunch of people and hurt them. It's not a, it's not uh, a, a, is a pretty obvious charge to to consider. You know, there's they could have made they could have charged, let's say, false statement in a one thousand and one count false statement in a federal proceeding, uh, given that the county electoral votes is a federal proceeding. All those fake elector certificates are false statements. So there's a lot of different ways he could have gone. Jack Smith made some choices. It'll probably make more sense when we see the full indictment. Also, one thing that is an interesting question and that dovetails into this is, you know, did he leave some charges on the table in order to have a more narrow indictment so that he could get this to trial quicker? I don't know the answer to that question. I haven't even seen the indictment. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's another uh, I think another open question is, will this case get to trial before the election? It's a little bit harder to tell because I. Uh, unlike maybe everyone listening to this, I don't know what the indictment is. Um, and, and I think, you know, that is definitely got to play into his reasoning because, of course, this indictment's coming weeks later than the documents case. And, you know, obviously, uh, there's, as you said, there's a very busy dance card. Yeah, but it doesn't include classified documents. There wouldn't be any CPA right. considerations. Uh, it's a faster docket. Um, well, maybe it's not a, as a, a faster docket up there in D.C. because they're pretty backed up just all, you know, from COVID. And then they've got a thousand plus January 6th cases going on right? Uh, that they've been dealing with. But it doesn't seem also to include the big fraud, which seems like a very easy wire fraud case for defrauding donors mm. for the election defense fund that didn't exist. But I also have been told that what is put in a target letter is not necessarily an exhaustive list of charges. That's true. 
one thing, you know, I think that's exactly right. We don't know exactly what the indictment's going to look like. I think that's fair. It's also that game of telephone. Like I said, we don't know exactly, you know, you had even surmised, right, from the initial set of charges we got, maybe there was, they got one of them wrong, that sort of thing. We don't know. One thing that I will say to me, when I look at what the biggest reason, you know, the biggest difference between the documents case and this one that might lead this one to go to trial faster, simply that it's in D.C., and thus, you have a greater chance of having a judge who's going to have a pre-existing view of Trump and or familiarity with Trump's team or these these uh, count, you know these particular um, factual this fact pattern. And I think it's important because if, for example, there was an indictment of Allison Gill, okay, or Renato Mariotti, a, a judge is going to presume that you and I are acting good faith. We're trying our best. Our attorneys, you know, might be overwhelmed and busy with other cases, but they're all they're being as diligent as possible. If a judge has that view, it's it's very easy for the defense to get a lot of extra time and to kind of, you know, take it take advantage of that um, that patience the judge is going to have because the judge wants you to have a fair trial. And frankly, as you said, a lot of these judges are overwhelmed with cases. But if a judge in D.C. like Beryl Howell or Amy Berman Jackson has already had a lot of experience with this. This is not their first rodeo with the Trump team and Trump defense. They might have a different view. And I think that's the the real hope that Smith has to have to get this case done before the election, because a judge like that might be motivated to really put this on a fast track. Yeah. And I have a question for you as a prosecutor. Is there a potential or a possibility for the special counsel maybe to speak with Robbie Kaplan, Eugene Carroll's lawyer, and maybe file a joint agreement motion to delay her trial so she can bow out for a for a January, if there's something available on the docket, a January, February trial for the potential uh, coup charges. Yeah, that's possible. You know, it's it's it, ordinarily in a typical case, this would be very rare. You would never. So because obviously Robbie's got an, a responsibility to her client right. to advise her client and advance her client's interest. And her client's interest is to get, you know, get her case going as quickly as possible. But in this circumstance, obviously, I think that's certainly on the table. This is a very weird situation. I mean, I don't think sometimes listeners really comprehend, you know, a lot of folks are like, obviously very concerned and really want this trial to happen before the election. There's rarely that much energy about what you have a criminal trial, whether it happens before a particular date. This is a really interesting situation. So nothing would surprise me. Yeah. And Robbie Kaplan's written in before to to judges to to alert them to the fact that Donald Trump was trying to use different cases against one another to delay mm-hmm. both cases. So, you know, I, I could see uh, maybe something like that happening. And uh, because if if we don't, have January, February, March or April or May or June now, we're looking into July. And if the May trial is delayed, like through SEPA for the documents case, which we think it will be, can it be pushed up to to then if if that, you know, I mean, there's going to be so much weird juggling that I don't think I've ever seen, at least in the last, you know, five or six years, I've been covering these kinds of things. And he also has a, a, you know, besides that civil case in February, he's got the civil pyramid scheme case that he has to right. go through. So, I mean, there's just so much. And then, of course, the he'll, as you know, he'll say, well, there's the primaries and there's Super Tuesday and then there's the convention and then the election. I mean, it's just going to be a constant pounding the table of, you know, you're interfering with my election when, in fact, 
we were investigating you well before, so you're actually, but running for president is interfering with our investigation, but (laughs) we can't really go there. So it's just 2024 is really crowded right now. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, the I read a column for Politico and my analogy to the situation was R. Kelly, uh, for example. You know, mm-hmm. R. Kelly was indicted everywhere, it seemed like. He's indicted in New York and in federal court in Chicago and in state court in Chicago and in Minnesota and all over the place. And he had, you know, all sorts of problems. You know, the the you know, and there he was able to delay certain trials and move up others and so on. But, you know, obviously with Trump, uh, you have the election is what makes sets this apart. You know, one thing I will say, Cannon was very savvy to not use that as her reasoning for why she wanted things at a certain time. She's learning because she's uh, she's some really silly mistakes last time. So she's learning, you know, be interesting. Like you like you said, I could see a Judge Howell in D.C. just saying, you know what? OK, this May's opened up. We're going in May or whatever. But. That's what it's going to take. And that I I think that really is what is going to allow us or not allow us to to um, know whether like to that's going to determine whether or not we have to deal with Trump in November, for example. It is insane that a judge's trial calendar could have such a a massive impact on our election. Yeah. And now. Let's bring in Fonnie Willis because we still yeah, haven't oh, even yeah. addressed Fonnie Willis. Oh, yeah. Imminent indictments. And we actually mean imminent now, um, back as opposed to back in January. But to be fair, she found out that the fraudulent electors in Georgia had not been offered an immunity deal by their attorney. And she was able to secure cooperation and immunity from eight of the 16 electors. And that did delay um, the imminent announcement of the of her charges in that case. And we're going to see that probably last week of July to the third week of August, somewhere in there, uh, which is right when you're listening to this. We might already have indictments dropping, but we got E. Jean in January, Pyramid Scheme in February, Manhattan DA in March, documents in May, January 6th, maybe in June or July. When does Fonnie get to go? Because I, I understand, though, that that court is pretty backed up. Yeah. I mean, look, state courts usually are slower than federal court in terms of getting to trial. I don't I don't really think her case is charged with the mentality that it's going to she's going to get there ahead of some somebody else or at a specific time. Jack Smith, I think, in the documents case, it's apparent that the guy really wants the, the, his case to go to trial before the election. Bless his heart. Like, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but he's trying. Fonnie Willis, I don't think has any illusions that that's going to happen. And I think she's OK with that. I mean, I think her. She wants to charge him because she thinks it's important. That's a statement. It makes a statement that this violates Georgia law. Okay. And then secondly, her indictment would be very difficult to get a pardon on. And so I think, you know, her mentality, she's like the tortoise in the hair. Like she's just going to keep going and no one's going to stop her. And so no matter what this guy does uh, in Washington, D.C., like she's going to keep, you know, pushing this forward. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, whether he is the candidate uh, for president, whether he is in the election, you know, makes it to election day, whether he wins the election. Nothing stops Fonnie Willis from continuing her work uh, should she indict Donald Trump. And like you said, a pardon is very difficult because, not, you, you know, not only can a president not pardon a state case, but even in Georgia, the governor isn't the pardoning authority. They have a pardoning board. And if a Republican wins and it's somebody like Kemp, they're not He's not 
Trump's best friend in the world. So that doesn't mean he won't indict him or uh, pardon him or recommend to his pardoning board that he be that he be pardoned. But it it is even more difficult uh, than in some other states to pardon the state case down in Georgia because they have that pardoning board. But we, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. But I think that, you know, some people wonder if justice will ever get here. The fact that he's going to be in and out of court spending millions of dollars for the entire year next year and that every day of his life is just going to be absolutely miserable. You were talking earlier about how difficult it is to just have one uh, be, a, be a criminal defendant in, in one case, let alone four or potentially five or you know, six with civil suits. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of mental stress. It's very, it takes its toll on your health. Like Lawrence O'Donnell says, every day for the rest of his life is going to be worse than the day before. Um, and so I think that that might bring some folks a little modicum of justice, even though our system is moving quite slowly. Yeah, I, I look, I, re- I represent a lot of clients since I've left the uh, government and I've had multiple clients um, consider committing suicide, mm-hmm. had clients whose marriages have ended, businesses have gone kaput, uh, clients who had to sell everything to pay their legal bills. Uh, it's just, it's brutal. Uh, more, you know, get second mortgages on their home. And it's just, it's, it is um, devastating to be under an indictment. And yes, this guy is not your typical person. That's true. But he's facing a lot of weight on him right now. He is, you know, fighting for his life on so many different fronts. I can understand people getting frustrated that there's no accountability or no action a couple years ago. But at this point, when you have a guy who's, you know, been indicted twice, is on the precipice of being indicted two more times, uh, that's that's a lot of accountability coming his way and, and a lot of downside for him. Yeah. Yeah. I I concur. And, you know, for me, my my definition of justice is, you know, I I know a lot of people want to see him in prison convicted. uh, But for me, it was indictments because that is something I feel like as a voter, I have a little more control over. I get to vote for who's president. The president picks the attorney general and the attorney general can indict people or appoint special counsel to indict people. What a jury does and what a judge decides is kind of beyond our reach, other than, you know, we can vote for good good presidents to to appoint good judges. But what a jury does is kind of beyond our control. Uh, it, it, justice is that it uh, to me that these are about to go through our system, not necessarily how they come out the other side, but that they've been subjected to it. If Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, an indictment is a statement by the by prosecutor essentially saying, I believe this is against the law. I think I have the evidence to prove this. That's what it basically says. Now, typically an indictment, you know, it's not making a statement that way. Like everyone knows bank robberies against the law. Everyone knows that, you know, you can't, uh, you know, traffic in heroin or whatever it might be. This is a different, you know, a different kind of case. And it's a statement by prosecutor, but also by our, our government saying that you can't try to, you know, subvert our our uh, transfer of power in this country. You can't just steal classified documents. That's not how it works in the United States of America. So I do think that's an important statement. And like you said, there is a very robust process in this country. And I know a lot of people listening to this are frustrated by the process. Like, this is BS. Why does it take so long? Why is it so slow? Why is it this? Why is it that? I welcome all of you into the criminal justice reform uh, you know, ten. If you all want to come and 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 join me and everyone else who's interested in reforming our system, that's great. 
But I think the the fact that Donald Trump is part of that system, uh, it it does mean something in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, the, that he has to go through our system of justice, but after being indicted, is accountability, regardless of how, of, of the outcome. In, in in my mind, so. Thank you so much for talking uh, through all these charges uh, with me today. We may see more. There might be something like, you know, we brought up the wire fraud thing. Uh, there could, you know, he's his true social is still under criminal investigation up in the Southern District. I mean, there's still all sorts of stuff going on. But thanks for talking through the big ones with me. And I really encourage everybody to listen to It's Complicated. You and Asha have such an amazing show. What, what um, around the August timeframe, what, what is it looking like? Do you have uh, some cool guests lined up or any, any particular interviews you definitely want to point people to or some very important shows recently that have come out? Well, one thing, you know, you mentioned Brian Greer, from a C- whose Secrets and Laws on Twitter or X, as it's probably called by the time this comes out. Uh, but, uh, and he's also on threads with me as well. But uh, you know, he's been a guest host recently. We've had some amazing um, episodes that have really looked at, you know, his experience as associate general counsel of the CIA and kind of taking a broad look at all, not only like, okay, here's how you compare this this case to a lot of other cases he worked on, a lot of national security cases, but really debunking a lot of maybe some of the not so accurate takes that are out there on national security issues. That's been fantastic. And, you know, I, I have to say one thing that our our podcast really is, is it's it's very fun. It's a lot more like Daily Beans uh, than I sound. I know I'm the, Ash is the fun one of the two of us uh, and we have a great chemistry. And so we have a lot of fun talking about everything from my dog uh, to what the best seltzer water is to her frequent vacation. So we have a lot of fun on that podcast. And her steam mop reviews are very Absolutely. important. And her Absolutely. and her uh, her program for keeping your your inbox clean uh, <laughs> has has changed my life. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody. Check out It's Complicated wherever you get your podcast. You can follow Renato Mariotti on Twitter and threads and every, you know, everywhere else, probably. <laughs> we've all went yeah. we've all gone and secured our handles on on all of the different new uh, social media apps that are popping up. But I appreciate your time today so much, and and I and I thank you. So uh, we will we will have you back again soon, and uh, we'll talk we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow with some more content. Uh, until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q, and bring someone with you. I've been Allison Gill, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. 
Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.